Stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Welcome back to Administrative Static. John, it's a it's a kind of certiorari palooza around NCLA these days. We have four, count them, four cert petitions pending at the U.S. Supreme Court uh, right now. And I, I suppose only an inveterate optimist like, like me would think that we've got a chance at getting all four of these uh, cert petitions granted on behalf of our, of our clients. But I thought it was worth, uh, I don't know when we will next have four cert petitions pending simultaneously, so I thought it might be great. Uh, to take uh, to take a, a segment today and talk about these four cases, we've talked about all of them before, but not not together, and uh, uh, and we should have a decision on all four of these uh, sometime in the next uh, five or six weeks as to whether or not the court will be will be hearing them. So, for uh, for purposes of uh, of reminding our audience, I'll go through uh, these four cases in in quick succession, and we can talk a little bit. Uh, about uh, about the stakes uh, in these in these various cases. Well, the first one uh, I'll do these uh, alphabetically. So uh, the ABCs uh, are Apotian, Buffington, and Cochran, and then we have the Romerol case. So the Apotian case is our bump stocks case out of the Tenth Circuit, and the questions at issue in the Apotian case are whether or not. Uh, Chevron should be should be overturned, or if if not overturned, then should Chevron at least uh, up, not apply in a criminal case, and should uh, Chevron apply when the government doesn't uh, when the government uh, sort of uh, refuses to invoke it, and then if if Chevron does apply and it's a criminal case or a or a statute that has criminal implications as the bump stock ban does. Then what's the role of the rule of lenity? When, when does that come into play? Is that before or after Chevron deference uh, would would come into play? And there's another case pending at the Supreme Court right now. So this case, John, I think I think we're up to 13 times that this case has been rescheduled. This cert petition was filed last August, and it's now been rescheduled 13 times, which uh, that's the most for any case I've ever been involved with. I there may be somebody else that that has been uh, rescheduled more times than that but that's a that's a lot of reschedules and we no question we don't know why uh, but it is currently set i believe unless it was rescheduled again and i didn't didn't notice it here in the last couple of days but it's uh it's it's currently on the next uh on the next conference for the supreme court to consider and it's possible they've been waiting for this case coming up from the sixth circuit the gun owners of america case which is another bump stocks case another case that has similar Chevron questions uh, in it, and they may have just been wanting to consider them together. But we'll find out soon enough. And I think that that uh, is a perfectly good case for the court's uh, consideration. And I think that uh, that Chevron deference would be uh, at least a little bit less controversial than some of the other cases that uh, we may be talking about in the next segment, John. <laughs> but <laughs> yes. uh, in any event, I, I don't think that you'll see anybody uh, show up at justices' houses to uh, uh, to protest about uh, 
reversing the 1984 precedent in Chevron. Uh, should that should that happen? Uh, so uh, that brings us to B, which is the the Buffington uh, case. This is our our case, and I should say uh, the Apotian case is being led by Chuck Cooper at the Cooper Kirk uh, firm. He's the lead counsel on that, and and co-author of the brief with uh, our colleague Rich Samp here at uh, at NCLA. Uh, the Buffington uh, case is a is another case that uh, Rich has been working on with uh, Roman Martinez from uh, from the Latham and Watkins uh, firm. And the, the question in Buffington uh, has to do with uh, another deference doctrine. It's, it's whether or not the veteran canon takes precedent over a Chevron deference. Because in Mr. Buffington's case, there's a question about uh, arguably ambiguous provision in the, uh, in the statute uh, having to do with he, he, uh, he had a partial disability from previous service in, in the Air Force. And he uh, was called back to active duty. And when you're called back to active duty, then the disability payment that you were getting is, is uh, suspended during the time that you're getting that active duty pay. And then when he, uh, then when he stepped away from the service again, uh, he didn't have the disability payment restored right away. And so there's a question of once he asked to have it restored, does that pick up right away? Or, or, you know, can he get sort of the retroactive benefit back to the time of his, of his separation from, from active duty. And if you were to employ the veterans, the pro-veteran canon of construction to interpret ambiguous provisions in favor of the veteran, then uh, Mr. Buffington would clearly win. If you employ the Chevron deference canon in support of the government's interpretation, then the Veterans Administration would win on its interpretation. Uh, I'll just point out, John, I think it's unfortunate that the Veterans Administration is, is so... Uh, uh, stingy when it comes to these sorts of veterans benefits question. There's no question that he qualifies for the benefit. That's not even in dispute. It's just a matter of this this paperwork timing uh, issue, and uh, it's unfortunate that that the Veterans Administration is uh, forcing Mr. Buffington to make a federal case out of it. But we'll see soon enough whether the particularly because he went back in service. It wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Uh... No, that's right. That's right. So anyway, that's uh, we'll see if the court. Uh, it's a nice, clean rifle shot sort of uh, uh, sort of cert petition. Be very easy for the court to uh, to decide on. Uh, then the Cochran case is the one that uh, this was the cert cert was sought by the SEC because NCLA won at the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals on bank on bank court. So you may remember us talking about, hey, we filed an orange brief. That's uh, that's new and different and fun. Uh, and the the question. Uh, in the in the Cochran case it has to do with jurisdiction and whether Michelle Cochran is able to uh, bring her challenge to the constitutionality of the ALJs at the SEC, particularly the fact that they uh, benefit from removal protections that we think are in violation of the president's uh, take care authority under Article 2. And can, can she raise those constitutional objections before going through uh, an administrative proceeding herself, where the administrative law judge would not be able to reach that constitutional question uh, in any event. And so she would ultimately have to go through yet another administrative proceeding if she's right about this constitutional point. Uh, so we, as I say, we won at the Fifth Circuit. The, the SEC appealed that, but they wanted the cert petition held pending another case, Axon v. FTC, which we've talked about before, and I won't, won't go into that here. Uh, but we told the court, no, don't hold it 
for Axon, go ahead and grant it and decide both cases, hear both cases uh, in parallel, that the, the issues in Cochrane and the issues in Axon are similar, but they're under different statutes. And we don't want to have to be debating whether or not the result in Axon applies in the SEC context, because you know the government's not just going to roll over, John. If they if they lose Axon, they're going to say that the SEC uh, statute is a different statute and you can't assume the same rules apply and all that jazz. So might as well get them both decided right now. They're, the circuit split is is uh, definitely there on the SEC statute in Cochrane. Uh, that, that issue has percolated through many courts of appeals. And so I think it's uh, high time for the court to, to resolve it. And hopefully, hopefully they will. That leaves our other SEC case, uh, Romerill v. SEC. This has to do with the gag rule that has been unlawfully on the books at the SEC since 1972. Uh, so from shortly before I was born, John, this, uh, this unlawful rule has been on the books. The SEC claimed that it was a housekeeping rule, so it didn't put it through a notice and comment. Uh, but a housekeeping rule can't have an impact on third parties. And of course, the whole point of the gag rule is to gag settling defendants uh, with the agency. So yes, that does have an effect on third parties. That cannot be done as a as a housekeeping rule, and it's invalid. Uh, but that doesn't uh, keep it from having been part of these settlement agreements. And the court below said, well, you know, Mr. Romero, you agreed to this settlement agreement. That's the way settlements work. And so we're not going to be too worried about the fact that you've been gagged. But there's, it's not just Mr. Romerill whose interests are at stake here. There's everybody who wants to know the truth of the situation. The First Amendment doesn't just protect the right of the speaker. It protects the right of the listener. And John, you and I didn't agree to this settlement. And we want to know what Mr. Romerill has to say. And so do lots of other people. And, and, and so you the, know, the, and, and the thing that there's Supreme Court cases that if you if you are like a murderer and you go on a killing spree and you're convicted and thrown in prison and you write a book about it, and you make money off of it. The government can't stop you from doing that. That yeah. is that shows you how strong the First Amendment is. And that's kind of an outrageous example I give all the time about the SEC requiring this as practically no other agency does. That's right. Practically no other agency requires this. It's uh, it's a prior restraint, uh, which is the worst kind of of uh, free speech violation uh, under the First Amendment. And it's uh, uh, the Supreme Court should take this case. It's being led by Floyd Abrams. Uh, the, uh, the, the Cochran case I neglected to say is being led by Greg Garr, uh, at, uh, at Latham and Watkins and, and, uh, in concert with our colleague, Peggy Little, uh, and the Romero case is being led by Floyd, a Floyd Abrams at Cahill Gordon in, uh, in conjunction with our colleague, Peggy Little. So, uh, some great, great cases here. And John, I don't know if you have a favorite. Is there a, is there one of these four that you think has the best chance of, of getting, getting granted? I don't know if, if we should, I, uh, well, I, uh, I have to say that I I spent a long time as a plaintiff's attorney. Whenever we'd get a big judgment, people would try to get it all the way to the Supreme Court to get it knocked down. So I filed orange briefs all the time. You, nothing to see here. You don't have to take this. Don't take this. <laughs> don't look over here. Um, so uh, it, it's a little odd to me that you win and we're like, ah, yeah, you know, we got to determine this because our mission is to make sure that the rules are, are fair across the country. So, of course, we want the Supreme Court to rule in our favor. But um, I, as I as I look at it, um, I think I the, the for me, I think that the Romerl issue is really great and interesting, but there doesn't seem to be a circuit split. Right. So that is a problem. Pe Peggy but, would disagree you know, with you on that. Yeah, we do have Floyd Abrams in our corner. And, and that's true. 
I agree that it, there is a kind of a circuit split, but it's not the kind that they immediately grab, you know? Um, we'll see. So, I, I say we get one. I'm not going to say which one. Oh, you're not going to say which one. All right. All right. Well, we will keep you posted on the, on Sturgerari Palooza at NCLA, and, and maybe we'll get two or three of these grants. That would be fantastic. Our clients certainly are, are uh, worthy of, of these decisions being made. We'll be back with more right after this on Administrative Static. Welcome back, and uh, we'll close out this week uh, with a, a, a sort of sobering, a sobering matter for the administrative of ju- administration of justice, which is um, there was the leak the Mark and I talked about of a Supreme Court uh, opinion, and and just the majority opinion, no dissent. As I pointed out last week, this this leak has hurt the dissent as well and its impact, and and it, it's done a lot of bad things to the law. Let's put it that way. But this week, the Senate unanimously passed a um, law that would allow uh, Supreme Court court justices to get um, police protection, Secret Service protection, much easier and and be protected. And the reason for that is that all over uh, D.C. and Maryland and less in Virginia for for various reasons having to do with the law and I think political will, but but even there – there have been protests at the justices' house houses, and and all even even Roberts, who's not on on the leak naming panel, is being any anybody any uh, Republican nominee is being protested, and um, there's been there's been a lot of internet language of violence and all this, and we see how this we we we've kind of forgotten that um, th- this violence does happen, and you hear it all the time that oh. Trump or somebody incited violence, but it's not just that. Chuck Schumer stood outside the Supreme Court and told Kavanaugh and uh, that, that they were coming out of after him for these bad decisions last Gorsuch year. Gorsuch right? too, I think. And Gorsuch, yep, he used both of them. And this rhetoric to stir up your your crowd uh, has has free speech to it, but it is not harmless. And I want to, I just want to bring something. So. They passed this. This Senate passed. It's going to the House. I hope to God it passes in the House um, on on very heavy margins as well. But there's been some pushback from the from the usual suspects. I'll call them that. Oh, this is just giving aid and comfort to the people who want to overturn Roe. But what did, did you really, say it was unanimous in the Senate? Unanimous. So so Senator Schumer voted for it, <laughs> or he didn't stand in the way. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, Interesting. So exactly. Okay. They know. They all know. They all know what it's like. And um, Schumer has his house protested, but you know it's in New York and it's under. There's police everywhere anyway. But but it is true that Schumer has had his own house uh, protested against. And these these type of protesting at people's houses rather than at the institution are very intimidating. And you know there's always the very angry person uh, or the nut. I don't want to call everybody who who decides on political violence as a nut because I don't think that's true but there's always somebody but he troubled who then is triggered and and and, and you, anything can happen it, it happened um, to the Republican softball team uh, and if there hadn't been guards there for the house uh, the house um, majority uh, whip that 
that that could have been an even bigger tragedy. Um, People don't really appreciate that, John. But what you just said is exactly right. The only reason that was stopped was because this, the the congressional police were there with guns, and the only reason they were there was because of one particular member Steve happened Scalise. to be Steve Scalise, the one who was shot, by the way. Yeah, uh, happened to happened to be participating in the baseball game. So, and and it's all very abstract for everyone until the tragedy happens. And I just want to bring up that that Judge Esther Salas of New Jersey who's a district court judge whose son was killed by a person who was uh, before her and was angry about the ruling. And I think he'd had, he had, um, had made some threats. I, I, I've forgotten everything, but she was an Obama appointee and her son came to the door and her son was, was killed. And, and I want to, I want to say this cause I found it very affecting, affecting. She was talking about how federal judges have to have easy access to protection for these reasons. She says, I live with the fact that my only child, my only child that Mark and I, we had one child and four miscarriages. We no longer have Daniel on this earth. We no longer have our son. And why? Because I was doing my job. And that is what's going on here. Because whatever the justices decide, they're doing it because they think they're doing their job. There's no one on Supreme Court who's like bribed or in somebody's pocket or any of this. When you hear that, that's that's they've all had long independent careers of their own. They may have their priors about what they believe, but they're they're not they're not um, they're doing their job of judging. And to have a mob come after you is exactly what Lincoln talked about all prior to the Civil War. He talked about mob justice and how we have to stop the mobs, even when he was for whatever the mobs were for. Now, Lincoln usually wasn't, but he, he, this idea that the law can be circumvented or short-circuited by mobs really is going to have a bad effect for everyone. And we all used to know that, but I think sometimes the temperature has increased um, even around here. So but the fact that the Senate did this unanimously and that there was no uh, showboating about it, Mark, uh, really Good strikes time. me that that at least at least there's some understanding once you put the political posturing aside about what the real institutions are and how they need to be protected. I mean, I was I was very heartened by that because we see what what people say and we go, I can't believe anyone's saying that. I can't believe that's happening or or somebody doesn't stand up. Uh, you know, the press secretary didn't stand up for this right away. Which, um, by the way, that uh, I was as equally disheartened by that as 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 heartened by the unanimous vote in the Senate. I mean, true. Uh, and, and and she she had to change her tune pretty quickly. And, and she, I don't think that that should have had to happen. But it does. You know, when we say everything's gone to hell on a handbasket, it hasn't hasn't quite been there because there appear to be breaks appearing this week. There do appear to be breaks. It, just as the accelerant, the accelerant gets set off on the other in the other direction. So, um, but I do think that in administrative law, um, we are sometimes worried that the administrator is too insulated from the popular will. But the flip side is that mob justice is the unpopular will, the people who didn't win the election or didn't win the outcome trying to influence the election. And the Constitution was set up and our judiciary was set up to to actually uh, respond to both both these dangers. And uh, we're just we just happen to be seeing the one danger now, I think, uh, on the other side 
because uh, because of these these mobs. And they they say they're peaceful protesters, and so far they have been peaceful protesters, but they've been intimidating. I mean, they yell obscenities outside your house. Uh, they disturb all your neighbors. Uh, they 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 uh, you know make threats and things like that. Um, all they but I I keep I always think of that sh- the mostly peaceful protests. You know, as soon as it, you have to put mostly in there, the tragedy has already, uh, already started. So well, I saw on I, Twitter this week, somebody, somebody said, I, I don't think this was in jest. I think this was somebody on the left uh, saying uh, it's time for things to get mostly peaceful again. Huh. I, I actually, I thought, that is horrible. If it's true, yeah. it's kind no, I of, saw the, I saw the tweet, but I just, I, you know, I'm not hundred percent sure which way they meant that it. statement, who exactly, yeah. what side they were on, but that is, that is, I think that there is some hope for that on certain uh, folks. So, um, so I, I do, I do think that, um, that there are some hopeful signs with our institutions because the Senate has acted quickly uh, let's see what happens in the House. Now, the House um, is not as cl- – now, you may be surprised that the Senate is collegial right now, but compared to the House, it is collegial. Well, the House um, isn't even meeting, right? Isn't the House uh, still proxy voting on everything? They're Has doing proxy vote. Yes, they are. Is, so, that's but, bizarre to me. It is It is bizarre, but I, I wonder um, I wonder how they'll respond because, you know, Nancy Pelosi, has, has her, her house has been – protested and i think even vandalized um in protests and and that's in Christ, he doesn't live in a gated community <laughs> i know so that's two things <laughs> you can get to nancy pelosi's house and and there's they can find someone to protest her in san francisco so i was kind of uh i was kind of shocked by both those things but i have seen it and it is uh you know she, she there's a place you can protest they have all these spots there used to be more at the capitol but you can still go there they weren't um, protesting outside of her hair salon. Exactly. <laughs> I'm against artificial uh, coloring. Um, I, I I think that uh, I I well you know we'll see what happens. I I do think you know last week I said that uh, I think I said um, at least maybe we were talking about it, but uh, I knew Justice Alito a little bit back in New Jersey, where in Newark at the time he was pro. I mean there was a lot of mob guys prosecuted and he was u.s attorney and you know prosecuting those are the guys who are most likely to uh take offense that they're being brought to law and do something about it and so he's he's no stranger they might not care if you're just doing your job they may not care exactly so it's not like there hasn't been danger or the threat of danger before but now um i think that that you know they they've they threaten your family and all the rest of it, and they make your life, um, you know, if you have a large crowd outside your house for days on end, not letting you sleep and all this, that's not really a peaceful protest either. Um, but the threat of violence always in the back is really hard on justice. It's really hard on justice. And and one of the things you can see how hard it is on justice is how many movies we have about it. I always think of how many movies there are where the crowd, the mob comes in and John Wayne and 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 Robert Mitchum and, uh, and Dean Martin or something have to like stop the mob from uh, taking whoever the prisoner is and and, and Dean Martin. Or, uh, well, <laughs> I, I, that's Rio Lobo. So he made John Wayne made oh, this movie right. like three times, and once it was with James Caan, and once it was with Dean Martin, and they go into town, and the sheriff's <laughs> drunk, and he won't he won't defend whatever it is against the mob, and so they got to stiffen his spine, and 
of course, because uh, it's a movie, they, they have to eventually have a showdown. And uh, the, the sheriff sobers up and the, and the young guy who's, who's kind of, uh, kind of uh, uh, you know, a layabout turns out to be okay. And so they, John Wayne has different people play that in the different movies or John Ford does, whoever it does, Henry Hawks, I don't know. But anyways, I've seen tons of movie like, like this. Um, they used to make them all the time. Uh, it, it is it is a it is a reoccurring theme in American history, and so it's also a reoccurring theme in American um, art. But I have to hope that we remember that these justices are real people, um, and that they have to do their jobs and they have to be protected to do it. And so, they should be able to write off in the sunset at the end of June when all the decisions are out. That's correct, and and um, and go about their business. I mean that. We'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, I was heartened. So uh, half cup, glass half full, I think, Mark, I guess. Is what I'm see you next time.